0: We are Awaken Church in Buenos, and this is our podcast. Welcome. Hi, everyone. We are, as you can tell by our worship set, we're at the end of our Daniel series, and we're flirting with the beginning of Advent, which is a fun place to be. And since we've reached the end of our series on Daniel, that means I got to do one of my favorite things in life, which is to go back and narrativize a bunch of things into a digestible set of themes and arcs and ideas. So if you've done what I've just did this week and listened to our entire series on The Awakened Podcast, now available on Spotify, there's a fun new intro and everything, Um, this may feel like review. But if you just come to church once a week, or maybe once every three weeks, ideas might fall through the cracks and you might miss some things. I barely remember what happened in my life two weeks ago, never mind like two, three months ago when this series started. So let's go back to the beginning. Excellent. I found this fun timeline online from a WordPress from Pastor Glenn, which I think is really funny. Never call me that. If you come to me at the end of this as a bit and you're like, hi, that's not funny, don't do that. But yeah, so we've mentioned briefly that Daniel was written during the period of the Seleucid Empire. So who were the Seleucids? Well, in Daniel proper, we've started with Babylon. There we go, Nebuchadnezzar, amazing kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and his descendants. Eventually it's taken over by Persia, which is ruled by Cyrus. These are all names that we recognize. Cyrus is the one who gives the edict for Israel to be returned after exile. And it's not until the reign of Artaxerxes, Darius's grandson over here, that Nehemiah gets to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So like, we're in this this place, Israel's going back, but the walls haven't been built. There's a lot of instability. Last week, we talked about chapter 10 of Daniel, um, which begins the vision that takes up this last chunk of Daniel that we're in, and that is dated to the third year of Cyrus's reign. This is a lot of information, but I swear it's going to make sense. Daniel is in his 80s, which, by the way, means that when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he was 80 years old, which I feel like is insane and we don't think about very much. So, literally, we are here. We're with Cyrus in Persia, um, but historically, we're not here. We're actually in the future from here on the next slide. Daniel's written about that period, but historically speaking, we're here. So Persia gets overthrown um, by this little guy you may have heard of called Alexander the Great. He comes through, basically conquers the entire European world. And he dies beyond, but his empire is broken up amongst four of his generals, including Seleucus. So that's the Seleucid Empire. As happens, these kingdoms eventually fall into infighting, and there are a few back and forth between the Seleucid Empire, which is like Babylon area, and the Ptolemaic Empire, which is in Egypt. And hey, this is right in between. There's a lot happening right in that period. Nothing ever changes. So yeah, it's during this time. There's conflicts going back and forth between these nations. This is the time that Daniel is being Written, It's in the reign of a Seleucid king named Antiochus Epiphanes. He's coming through, going through the Ptolemaic Empire. So the people who are composing the Book of Daniel are also in the strain of wars, kingdom, just like the Book of Daniel is. There's a lot of just turning over of empires happening. So yeah, we'll be revisiting some of this at the end of the test, but mostly remember for now, A, this book is written in the midst of a lot of historical turmoil. About a time of a lot of historical turmoil. Every few years, there's a new empire. Every few years, there's a new kingdom. B, the other thing you should remember is this Seleucid empire that we're we're writing Daniel in uh, is also eventually overthrown by somebody else you may have heard of, um, Rome in fact the last empire or the last ruler of the ptolemaic empire is cleopatra the fourth as in mark antony Julius caesar that cleopatra so that's just a few generations from now so just hold these things literally and keep in mind where we are right now in the church calendar rome is coming so just mentally sit with what that means so contextually we're in the Lucid empire writing about the Babylonian and Persian Empire. But we've also been talking about some literary context. We talked at the start of the series about allusions to Esther, Joseph, and especially Genesis. We talked about how the book starts in the same place as the Tower of Babel in Shinar. So we have all these ideas of um, people gathering together to make a name for ourselves and becoming like God. With Daniel, we returned to Shinar, to the place where the Euphrates and the Tigris meet, to Babylon, and we find an empire that is also gathering all people and trying to assimilate them into one language and one identity. And we find with these two core threads that we keep hitting through the series. Kings um, assimilate, other, assimilate others in attempt to become gods, and people under the subject of kings becoming dehumanized through that process of assimilation. No one in this story is allowed to just be humans. You become objects or gods. There's this either reach for the divinity or a disruption into nothing. And so we keep asking, who is human in this story? Who gets to define humanity? Is it God? Because these kings keep trying to be God, um, but are actually becoming beasts and statues. And if these kings aren't God, then where is God? A huge thing we're wrestling with then is the identity of people and people groups. When we read the text honestly, we find ourselves reading the text of the oppressed, the text of a people who have been under the threat of assimilation. I remember reading Daniel back as a teenager with very little eye to its historical weight. I'm reading in the year of our Lord 2016 when certainly nothing political was going on that people were thinking about. And i read it at this time where i was very uncertain about our future i was like what's what's happening what am i going to be allowed to do and at this point daniel read to me as somebody who managed to always be respectful he he was deferent to the political authorities he tried not to break the law and was always rewarded by god he was always given more things and i was like okay Cool. There's nothing, nothing to worry about. As a, as a white centrist teenager in 2016, I got a lot of relief with the belief that, yeah, I can just be faithful and do my best, and everything will work out well. Um, but a lot of what we've been unpacking, unpacking the past couple months, is that we can't really sit in that space without getting deeper because sure daniel is allowed to pray to his heart's content and god delivers him from danger but he's still thrown into a den of lions his friends um get rescued but they're still thrown into a blazing furnace this is not a negotiation with empire the Empire's actively hostile and just because daniel isn't picking up a gun in this story doesn't mean he's not practicing radical resistance the entire time This is not the cozy story of Daniel being apolitical and getting a lot of success. This is a story about Daniel exposing the folly of emperors and being put in the firing line again and again and again, and surviving miraculously by every sense of the word. There's comfort in this story, but it's not comfort for the people who sit idly by and do nothing. It's a promise of future rest for the people in the midst of active struggle. So we're thinking about the humanity of people the humanity of people who are being dehumanized the humanity of kings who want to become gods but in so doing become beasts and we're asking what does it mean in all this to be human we see time after time these kings who like the people of babel want to be great want to have a name for themselves but we as readers of the story know that their greatness is limited daniel's not the story of one empire and its success it's the story of Babylon and Persia and the Seleucids. All of these empires are playing the same script over and over and failing. These empires want to become great, become known, but the throughline of the story is not these empires and their greatness. They keep collapsing. They keep falling apart making way for the next empire. The throughline of this story is Daniel, an indigenous man in occupied territory. Daniel outlasts all of these nations Daniel is the only one in the story who sees and understands the kings are haunted by dreams and spectral hands and only Daniel can interpret them. In a story intrinsically asking who is human and who holds power, we constantly find the kings wanting to become gods powerless at the whims of Daniel's interpretive ability and history's sweeping apathy towards these meager empires. And I think this is profound as people studying the Bible today. I I think about the number of people like myself in 2016 who have struggled to interpret the Bible. In the back half of Daniel we're diving deep with all this apocalyptic insane imagery and year after year we've talked about how people lament about how quote-unquote incomprehensible the book of Revelation is. But once you stop speaking from your kind of white perspective, I guess, um, actually listen to the voices within the text, the voices of the oppressed and occupied, the imagery in Revelation feels totally obvious. Here's empire, here's occupying forces, and here's the hope of restoration. Only Daniel, only the one not obsessed with forging his own divinity, only the one who is aware of his own history, his own culture, his timeliness, as we were talking about before, He's the one with the ability to grieve, to lament, and to hear and see the actual story. This is the story of kings who are so bent on dehumanizing others that they have forgotten how to be human and have become deaf, blind and stupid. And so with Daniel, we've been seeing this cycle turn over and over again. There are always kings and there's always an empire. And the troubling thing about reading Daniel today is thousands of years later, we we kind of look around and the forces of dehumanization have not quieted. This story, this script has not ended. We've mentioned an aside to the series, talking about what it means to be human, the rising scare of AI and what that means for humanity, what it is to be human. If you've talked to me a lot the past few months, you may have heard me rant about the writer and actor strikes this season. This is a small example of how modern empires are dehumanizing people, but it helps a little illustrate the point. For the first time in generations, the writers' guilds and actors' guilds of Hollywood have struck at the same time totally shutting down Hollywood productions. And what were their demands? Essentially, the end of dehumanization. So, um, the the brief summary is, Um, With the rise of streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus that we're all aware of, actors and writers were effectively being told to work for free. Streaming numbers were not made public, so studios could just kind of announce, hey, we've decided that this show isn't doing as well as we want, and just cancel it and act on a whim. For example, Warner Bros. CEO David Zaslav this weekend canceled the release of a totally finished um, Wile E. Coyote movie. It was completely finished and he just said it's not coming out we've axed it we're getting a tax write-off from it this is the third film he's done this to completely finished works of art made by a bunch of people collaborating together who are never going to see the fruit of their work and also never get the residuals and income from the amount of work that they put in and people also aren't getting any residuals from streaming services because of how these new these systems were. There are no deals in place to ensure people are actually getting paid for them continually. So, you know, you watch hundreds and thousands of hours of The Office and Friends on Netflix, but nobody's actually getting profits for those except the company. The people who wrote those shows not getting any money of them. Overall, the Writers Guild of America were asking for an additional 0.18% of studios revenues. The studios for months, refused to give that much. They said that was an uh, absurd and ridiculous demand, and one studio in insisting on not paying that out, actually made a statement that the end game for this strike is to allow things to drag out until union members start losing their apartments and homes. We would rather that people starve and become homeless than lose a fraction of our income, so we're still we're still in dehumanizing empires. This is still just a thing that's happened. On the next slide, we're gonna find out, talking about AI, yeah, the Screen Actors Guild had a similar demand because it's been coming out that Disney productions, instead of, well, when they hire actors, um, are just doing full body scans of their extras and just generating CGI puppets so that they don't have to pay their actors anymore and can just have CGI puppets. So this is a movie that came out on Disney Plus like a week or so ago. See, these people in the front row are very real. And look at these people in the row behind them. Those aren't real people. This is an actual movie that came out. This is happening right now. Yeah, we are fully just replacing the creative element, the human element all of it studios are like we don't want to deal with people we want to deal with objects so everything's going to be digitized now yeah finally the the strike started in may and studios finally caved to demands for the writers in september and the actors this past weekend after months of actively losing money just because they didn't want to give out a meager point 016 percent so the kings still think that they're gods and everyone else is just beasts and objects to them. And this is just one minuscule facet in the vast array of ways that our modern world has tried to dehumanize us. Because there's just so much going on and we just become numb to it. I've had, this is like the, the mid 20s anxiety, but I've had so many conversations recently with people who are working like nine to fives and come home and they've been mindless for eight hours and they just come home and want to be mindless in a different way. And it's just there's so much going on there's wars there's genocide and rather than become mentally engaged for four hours we just tune out and become numb and this is the goal of empire in canada we talked about the fraction of ways that empire is dehumanizing people we've talked about there's active war and oppression going on currently in the same space where this book was being um, written the book of daniel we've been acknowledging our own active participation in systems that have erased indigenous peoples on our own land. Um, But to actually reconcile with that takes a lot of work, it takes time and space and the ability to rest that empires refuse to give anybody, because we're not people, we are objects. And so all of that to say, is that the question that we in the modern age, like Daniel asks, is where is this going? Where is God? This cycle just keeps happening, people keep getting dehumanized, people keep getting oppressed, war keeps happening. Where is the hope here? Where is God in all of this? We've heard a number of stories recently about people trying to tell us where and who God is. We've been talking about in this series and even before this series about people who have tried to tell us in the church who God is. And the Kalis talked a few times in this series about places where the church has given us limited view of humanity, and that to be fully human, we have to reach a certain standard of beauty or significance, or how we've been told over and over that our harshest critic is the voice of God just before this series dallas shared with us his story where the church told him and countless others that they were born insufficient born depraved filled with evil and that god wants us to endure hardship and suffering to be considered good or we'll look at stories like the stories in daniel of kings domineering over people sending the enslaved into a fiery furnace and we'll say yeah that's our god that's what god looks like but the kings in daniel are gods forged in the image of empire, their statues who do not see, who cannot hear, and hanging over the study of Daniel as her own colonial history, the awareness that our church, not awakened specifically, but the church political, has legitimated and officiated the subjugation and assimilation of indigenous peoples, all while swearing that this was God's way. So many people are telling us who God is we're looking at Empire and saying, this is God, right? I'm reminded of an early scene from the new movie that just came out, Killers of the Flower Moon, where Leo DiCaprio's character's reading from an indigenous children's book, um, actually to try and understand how to like best oppress these people. The first teaser for this movie and cuts this reading with all the white men in the film who would smile and make friends and then swoop in to steal indigenous Osage land and rights as he reads can you find the wolves in this picture. What is a wolf and what is God. These men who try to become God become beasts. Who are the wolves in this picture. Where should we look. How do we be human. These are all the questions that we're asking. Babel keeps going on. Babel is still today. Empire is still today. This just keeps happening. So this is the anxiety that we're feeling at the end of Daniel. These mounting questions and concerns, this increased stress of this just keeps happening. If every empire is just replaced by another empire doing the same script, subjugating the same people, What's the point? Where does this end? Is life just a struggle against forces that aim to dehumanize us? And if so, what then is the point in being human? What's the worth? Where actually is God? And are we just to endure these cycles forever? How long? How long? How long? We aren't given a lot of peeks into Daniel's interiority. But here towards the end, we see that he is very tired. We've been talking about the back half of this book and how he's describing these vivid, horrific um, visions of beasts and kingdoms. And they shake him. Um, in Daniel 7:28, he says, My thoughts troubled me greatly, and the color drained from my face. In 8:27, he says, I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up and again carried out the king's business. But I was astonished at the vision, and there's no one to explain it. Is that not what being alive in, like, the 21st century is like? I look outside, I see horrific things every day, I go on Twitter, um, I get depressed, and then I go out and I do the king's business, but, like, no one is around to tell me what's going on. He's seeing images of the truth of empire. It can become easy to become complacent, to lie down and let empire roll over us, but these visions keep the horrors around him fresh. He sees the beasts for what they really are, but they do exhaust him. Before this final set of visions, he's been mourning for three weeks. How long, O oh Lord? And so he receives this long final vision, and I'm not gonna go too into detail because it's really overwhelming, and, um, uh, but essentially Daniel sees the history that we just talked about play out. He sees the splitting of an empire into north and south He sees the Seleucids and the Ptolemaics, and it also makes us think of the north and southern kingdoms of Israel. But there's this abstraction of fact and fiction as the text becomes apocalyptic, and it moves from the Seleucids and the Ptolemaic infighting into an image of Antiochus Epiphanes, who I mentioned right at the start. I told you he would be back. Now if you remember the name Antiochus Epiphanes from anywhere, it might be the Book of Maccabees, one of the Jewish books that Martin Luther and co. didn't like and decided shouldn't be in the Protestant Bible, but hey, it made it into Daniel, it's here now. And so in this vision, it talks about what the Book of Maccabees will go into detail about, which is how Antiochus Epiphanes takes over this land, profanes the temple, tries to outlaw all religious practice, and how Judas Maccabeus um, leads a violent guerrilla insurgency to overthrow Epiphanes and take back their land, which is interesting to think about right now. That's all I'm gonna say about that. The story never ends. The cycles continue. Daniel's prophecy predicts Antiochus's reign and debauchery, but it gets the details of his death wrong. Why? It's being written at the time of the events. The book of Daniel is being written by a group of people under the strain of Antiochus Epiphanes, trying to narrativize their life, try to give it some context to make it make sense. And they're using Epiphanes as a cipher, as an image of these cycles of history, these empires that keep coming, these kings that keep coming. This question, when does this end? Things abstract further. There's a great cosmic battle. Michael shows up. There's distress and a resurrection at the end of it all. So it's this really fun, abstract thing. And it says multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth, will awake some to everlasting life, some to shame and contempt. I don't know what that means, but those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So there's this vision of like things are really confusing and chaotic hope, but there's this future, there's this justice, there will be vindication. You may be right now in sweeping tides over and over of empire, but the righteous will one day shine like stars. You're in the black right now, but there is light coming to guide you home. Okay, cool. Daniel, I think like us, says, okay, I'm calling your bluff. When is this happening? Um, And the answer he's given is, in a word, vague. So this is our next slide. And we're going to camp out a little bit more here. It says, the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, lifts his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the end of time. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time uh, that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. And as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance so in a typical kind of jobian sense this is not the most satisfying answer in the world it will be for time time and half a time someday this will be completed it's getting rolled up now many will be purified many will keep being wicked you know go rest and at the end of the days you'll receive your allotted inheritance this is how the book of daniel ends these are the last verses it's like, that's not an answer is it but there is hope here there is this assurance that hope itself is coming a lot of things are going to happen again the wicked will keep on being wicked many will be purified and the wheel will keep on turning these cycles are going to keep happening Empire's going to keep happening Kings we're still going to see them we're still going to see awful things even in the year of our Lord 2023 but there's something out there The bit here that I get hung up on is this idea. Blessed is the one who waits and attains to the 1,335 days. Three and a half years. That's what the time times half a time is, apparently. Um, Three and a half years. Blessed is the one who waits and attains to the three and a half years. Okay, two thoughts jump to mind. The first we'll get to in a minute, but the other is this, three and a half, I can do math. That's half of seven. We know seven. That's the number of Sabbath, the number of rest. Blessed is the one who is halfway to Sabbath. You're in the middle of it right now. You're in the inky black of history. But blessed is the one who is halfway to Sabbath. Blessed is the one who is still struggling and still has halfway to go. Blessed is the one who is in the thick of it, in the dark. This feels to me in the same tenor as the Beatitudes. Blessed is the one who mourns, not because mourning in itself is a great exciting thing, but because the one who mourns will receive the comfort they yearn for. Blessed are the ones who are in the pitch black of night, who are overwhelmed and don't understand, who are struggling not to be numbed by the constant push of history, not to be desensitized, dehumanized by every new empire. Something is coming. You're on your way, you're halfway there. And those who wait will see empires finally overthrown and look up in the night and see the righteous shining like stars. This is a lot of heady, abstract stuff. So let's bring this home. Because the other thought upon hearing three and a half years was to think, hey, where was I three and a half years from now? It's fall of 2023, so three and a half years ago, I was, oh, spring of 2020, a really famously good time. I personally was already well into the middle of things um, when the novel coronavirus hit. I would already gone through a year where it felt like the ground kept opening beneath my feet, that after everything was a new and worse thing that I had to deal with. There's a lot I was reckoning with, a lot of harmful beliefs I was untangling, but also just overwhelming wave after wave of life events. I stopped believing in rock bottom because it became increasingly clear that the moment I got my bearings, something worse would happen. A new cycle. A new empire. History presses forward. So when COVID inevitably hit, um, any semblance of stability I had shattered I just grew numb I'm sure I wasn't the only one the next several years blurred into abstraction and occasionally I peeked my head out oh, just enough to survive because occasionally um, like the beasts in Daniel's vision it all just became startlingly real the swarming depression and insecurities would materialize and I would wake up for a moment just enough to actually get something done. But then you get numbed again. The cycles keep going. When I started on uh, medication a few months ago, it felt like a weird return to self that I didn't know that I had lost. I hadn't particularly felt like I had grayed out um, until I saw color again. And with it, the space and ability, like Daniel, to actually process my own mental state, to grieve, to celebrate, to hope, to dream. And I just keep thinking with this pas- passage about the idea of somebody coming and saying, um, like, blessed is the one who waits. History keeps churning forward. Empires rise and fall. There are new kings, new threats, new oppressions, new assimilators, new dehumanizers, but blessed is the one who waits. Every day, the world threatens to numb us out to our own humanity, to the humanity of those around us. But blessed is the one who is in the middle of it and keeps waiting. We stand on the precipice of the next season in our Christian calendar. So we get to partake with the ones who wait. We, the ones who stood in the dark and asked how long and were told soon who saw a star in the east and pray that it's a a sign of hope. That soon, all these cycles that Daniel's seen, that the writers of Daniel are seen, all of these systems of empire and oppression, soon there will be something. This is not the end. Time does march forward, but time means that there is an end. So where is God in all of this? Is the question we keep coming back to. Is God the statue who has eyes but can't see, has ears but can't hear, whose heart is made of stone, demanding that the disobedient are thrown into the furnace? Or is God the only one whose heart truly beats, whose heart bleeds for the broken, who doesn't assimilate, but welcomes freely out of open love is God the king on the throne whose days are numbered by the hand writing on the wall, whose power is only won by the blood of innocence? Or is God the child in a stable in an occupied land you know nothing about? Is God building a tower with bricks forged by the oppressed, hoping in vain that it will make his name known forever? Or is God waiting even now in the womb of a yon refugee mother? Is God a devouring beast with wings and fanes and horns or is God one like a son of man seeking not to dehumanize people but to look them in the eye so that they may see him his eyes his face bone of our bone flesh of our flesh and remember what it actually is to be human the gift of life is not that if we as humans work hard enough, we can become gods. It is that God has become human, and that we as humans bear that stamp of the divine within us. To be truly divine, is to find that in each other, find that divinity in each other, that image of God, to celebrate that in one another. And there, to finally become human ourselves, and to recognize the humanity of all of those around us. That's what the book of Daniel is about. Awaken Church is located in McKinstas, specifically the neighborhood of bonas most of us are settler descendants who have benefited from the legacy of colonialism and forced assimilation which continues to harm the people of this land. We are committed to reckoning with our history and taking action towards reconciliation as envisioned by Indigenous leaders and knowledge keepers. Treaty 7 was signed not so long ago between the sovereign nation of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, the Soutena and the Canadian government, We honor that at the heart of the treaty was a dream for a shared future, and we wholeheartedly believe in this dream. For information on who we are and how you can support the work of Awaken, check us out at awakenchurch.ca. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Awaken